0: Welcome to the How to Learn Anything course from Plato University, where you're going to learn the science-based tools of pro-learners to accelerate your learning, remember more, and master any hard skills. These are the secret techniques they didn't tell you in school. If you're passionate about changing your life with learning, join us at Plato.University to get exclusive content with every lesson. I'm your learning guide, Brandon Stover, and let's get started. So far in our learning plan, we've talked about why we want to learn something, determining exactly what we're gonna be learning, determining how we're going to engage in the learning process, and scheduling out time for us to engage in that learning process. The final element to our learning plan is going to be creating the optimal learning environment for the maximum amount of focus. Now, when we talk about an optimal learning environment, this is an environment that allows you to engage in your learning in a way that's focused, engaged, and distraction-free. And today, we're going to cover both the external environment, the place that you would actually be sitting in when you were studying or learning something, and your internal environment, the things that you can do for your brain and body. Make sure that you're in the most optimal state in order to learn. But before we get there, let's discuss why we should even care about setting up an optimal learning environment. Well, when it comes to a learning environment, if you're in one that has lots of distractions, it's going to be very hard for you to engage in your learning. Think about times for yourself when you sat down to study or practice something, but then your phone buzzes and you look away, or maybe somebody knocks on the door to say hello, or you might even spin off into a daydream only to realize you've been staring at the same paragraph for the last 15 minutes. Now, what kind of distractions are you going to face when you're engaging in learning? Well, it's going to be your environment, the things around you, the actual learning task in front of you, and even your own mind. So the first source of distraction is your environment. Think about it. When you sit down to learn, do you have your phone turned off? Are you accessing the internet, watching television, or playing games? Are there distracting noises and sounds? Are you prepared to work, or might you need to stop to look for pens, a book, or a lamp? This is a source of the problem of sustaining focus, but it's also an aspect people frequently ignore for the same reasons they ignore the fact that they are procrastinating. Oftentimes people will tell themselves they're gonna focus better while listening to music, but in reality, it might be that they don't want to work on the given task. So music provides a low level amount of arousal and amusing distraction. Now I'm not downplaying anybody that may work the best in that environment, but rather you should be aware of what environment you work best in and test out different environments for yourself. The second source of distraction is your own learning task at hand. Certain activities due to their nature are harder to focus on than others. For instance, reading may be harder for you to do than watching a video, even when it's about the same sort of content. Whenever you have a choice between using different tools for learning, you may want to consider which is easier to focus on when making that decision. Now, sometimes you're gonna have to use whatever resource you have at hand. Sometimes you can subtly modify what you're doing to enable greater focus. For example, if you're reading a difficult text and it's hard to keep focus on it, something you can do is write down notes as you're reading. And writing may be easier for you to do, in which case engages you in the learning and you're able to do the reading and writing with complete focus. Additionally, you're engaging more of your brain while you're doing it. Doing things like solving problems, making something with your hands, or writing and explaining ideas out loud are harder to do in the background of your mind, so there are fewer opportunities for distractions to actually creep in. And that leads us to distraction source number three, which is your own mind. Negative emotions, restlessness, and daydreaming can be some of the biggest obstacles to your own learning and focus. Obviously, having a calm and clear mind, not one filled with angers, anxieties, frustrations, or sadness will be better for your learning overall. This means if you're struggling with different problems in your life, it might be harder for you to actually engage in the learning sessions that you schedule. So a good idea is to deal with those in some way first. However, sometimes there's nothing you can do about your emotions and if feelings arise spontaneously without requiring you to do something about them. Here, the solution is to practice some mindfulness where you acknowledge the feeling, be aware of it, and gently adjust your focus back to your task and allow the feeling to pass. And by practicing this skill, you'll actually strengthen your ability to do it in the future and to let go of the distractions that you have in your mind. If it ever feels as though continuing working on something is pointless because you're so distracted by a negative emotion that you can't possibly work, remember that the long-term strengthening of your ability to persist on this task will be useful. So the time is not wasted, even if you don't accomplish much in this particular learning session. So now we've covered distractions. But the second point to why it's so important to create an optimal learning environment is it helps to create a better quality and direction of your intention. Suppose you've actually managed to wrangle the problems of procrastination by doing scheduling and gotten rid of distractions by setting up the optimal learning environment. How should you actually engage and focus? What's the optimal degree of alertness to maximize your learning? Well, when it comes to your alertness, we have two different variables that we have to balance in order to find the right amount of alertness to maximize our learning. And that's arousal and task complexity. Arousal is your overall feeling of energy or alertness. So when you're sleepy, you have low arousal. When you're exercising, you have high arousal. This occurs within your body due to sympathetic nervous system activation. And it consists of a range of effects in the body that often occur together, including faster heart rate, increased blood pressure, pupil dilation, and sweating. But mentally, arousal also influences attention. So when you have high arousal, you have a real keen sense of alertness with a fairly narrow range of focus. And this can be very good for focusing on relatively simple tasks or ones that require intense concentration toward a small target. But when you have too much arousal, your focus can start to suffer. It becomes very easy to be distracted and you may have a hard time holding on to focus on any particular one thing. Now let's look at the other variable of task complexity. More complex tasks such as solving math problems or writing essays tend to benefit from a more relaxed kind of focus. Here the space of focus is often larger and more diffuse This has advantages when, in order to solve the problem you're facing, you must consider many different outputs or ideas. You have to engage in that creative thinking. Trying to solve something very complex is going to require this mental quietness. And in fact, if you're trying to do something extremely creative, you may benefit from no focus at all. Taking a break from the problem can widen the space of focus enough that the possibilities that were not in your consciousness earlier can conjoin and you can make new discoveries. So when we approach our learning, what we're trying to do is balance these two variables of our arousal level and the task complexity. What you're trying to do here is find a Goldilocks spot where you have enough arousal to be focused, but not too much where you're getting distracted. And the task is complex enough that you're engaging in focus, but not so hard that you want to give up. Now, you may be thinking, okay, what's that exact level for you? What's that Goldilocks spot? It's going to vary depending on what sort of things you're learning and who you are as a person. But here I'm going to play a short clip by Andrew Huberman about the 85% rule that's going to help you learn faster.
1: When trying to learn something new, you wanna make the difficulty of what you're trying to learn such that you're getting things right about 85% of the time, that you're making errors about 15% of the time. And the reason I like this paper is it really points specifically to some protocols that we can implement because people always say, okay, you wanna set a high goal, you wanna try and achieve something that's really lofty, but you don't wanna make the goal so lofty that you don't make any progress at all. Other people say you really want to start with really small goals and make things very, very incremental. Only set out to do things that you know you can accomplish and that will feed back on your self-esteem and all these positive feedback loops. And then, you know, layer by layer, layer by layer, you'll eventually get where you want to go. Well, it turns out that neither is true. You need to set the level of difficulty such that you're making errors about 15% of the time. And I want to emphasize about 15% of the time because there's no way to, figure protocols for sport or language or math or anything else where you're going to have exactly 15% of errors. So anyway, this paper, the 85% rule for optimal learning, again, we will supply the link, but it really points to the idea of making things pretty hard, but not so hard that you're failing every attempt or even half of the attempts. Failing about 15% of the time seems optimal for learning. All right, now
0: that we know what an optimal learning environment is and why it's so important, Let's discuss how we can start to set up the best external environment and how to set up the best internal environment for learning. It should come by no surprise based on what we just spoke about, but you want to create a distraction-free environment. Find a place to study where distractions are going to be eliminated or minimized. Finding a quiet location like a library or an isolated location away from others is going to be ideal. But if you have to work in noisy environments, you can use things like earplugs or earmuffs, or noise counseling headphones to allow you to focus closer in on what you're doing. Of course, some of the worst distractions that we get are going to be notifications from our computer or phone. A quick sweep through the notification settings on your devices and disable audible, visible, and vibrating alerts. You can also use popular website blockers that can be downloaded through things like Chrome extensions. Of course, distractions are always going to be around, but it's our job to figure out the best ways for us to actually combat them. The second thing we wanna do is be wary of multitasking when we're learning. Whenever you switch your focus to a new task, you activate information stored in your brain related to the new task. When you then switch to a different task, for example, when checking your email or a text message, you activate a different set of information. And what this does is leave something called attention residue, which is leftover attention from your previous task. That means your attention isn't fully on the new task. Frequent task switching increases susceptibility to distraction, causes more errors, slows down your learning, makes your writing worse, and diminishes the task at hand. One study from researchers at the University of Michigan found that cognitive performance fell by 30 to 40 percent when participants switch between tasks instead of completing one task before moving on to the next. Now, we already talked about having settings on your phone turned off and getting it out of your learning environment but you also want to avoid it when you're taking those small breaks that we talked about during scheduling. Because when you use your cell phone during a break, it doesn't actually allow your brain to recharge as effectively as taking a break without the phone. Cell phones are also particularly distracting if you happen to be in a face-to-face training or class. One study found that students who were not using their mobile phones wrote down 62% more information in their notes, were able to recall more detailed information from the lecture, and scored a full letter grade and a half higher on multiple choice exams than students who actively use their mobile phones. So a great idea is to just leave your phone in your bag, tuck it away in a drawer, or leave it back in the car. By doing this, you'll be shocked at how much more your focus improves. And finally, when setting up our external environment, we can do everything under the sun to try and get rid of distractions and things that are gonna take us away from our learning. But we can't control the entire world and stuff is going to happen and pull us away from our learning. So what we need to do is set up a ready to resume plan for when this happens. How are you gonna bring your focus back to what you're studying and engage back in the learning? This may be some sort of small habit trigger that you can use that brings your focus back to the learning task at hand. Now let's talk about how you can set up your internal environment by optimizing your brain and body. Now this may seem obvious, but sleep is extremely important for your learning. And the science of sleep actually supports this. You see, being awake creates toxic products in our brain. But when you sleep, your brain cells actually shrink and fluids flow through these gaps and they clear out these toxins for you. So sleep is actually our brain's way of flushing out unwanted things in our brain. When you're asleep, cerebral spinal fluid in your brain increases and flushes away these toxins that build up between your brain cells during the day. And the reason that this happens at night is because it's a very energy-intensive process. During the day, we're using all of our energy for other processes in our body. But at nighttime, we're not moving around, so our brain hogs up all the energy in order to complete this process. During sleep, our brain also engages in the diffuse mode of thinking. It allows the brain to organize things, erasing the less important things and making the more important things have connections with different parts of our brain. And as Matthew Walker describes in his book, Why We Sleep, Sleep allows us to sometimes come up with new and novel solutions to problems that we have in our life. So what we see here from the science of sleep is that most of the connections in our brain are actually made when we're sleeping. And you can liken this to working out the muscles in your body. When you go to the gym and lift weights, you're actually breaking down and tearing the muscle apart. You're not actually building muscle. It's not until when you rest later that the muscles start to use proteins to rebuild your muscle and grow it larger. And a lot of times this also happens during sleep. But we had an initial trigger during that exercise to break down the muscle and tell our body to start repairing and rebuilding the muscle. Well, the same thing happens when we're learning. When we sit down to do a learning session, we're sending a trigger to our brain to engage in this process of making new neural connections that will often happen in mass quantity when we're sleeping. Because the actual rewiring of neural circuits that underlies learning occurs during sleep. So it's absolutely crucial that you get quality and sufficiently long enough deep sleep. Now I'll put some links to some resources for you to be able to dive into getting better sleep for yourself because in reality that could be a whole course upon itself. Now the second thing that we can do to optimize our body for learning is engaging in exercise. Now researchers have long known the physical exercise helps us learn and form memories. But recently researchers discovered a key reason why exercise is so helpful. It produces a chemical called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. And this is pretty much like miracle Grow for your brain. BDNF is a protein that promotes sprouting of dendritic spines on neurons. Having spines available means it's easier to make new neural connections. Even just one single exercise session can raise BDNF levels, but regular exercises raises them even more. Now, it's not entirely clear which exercises you can engage in order to get the most brain-derived nootropic factor growing in your brain. Rather, it's more important that you're actually engaging in some sort of physical movement and exercise, whether that be walking, lifting weights, or engaging in some kind of sport. Now, the next factor that's going to hinder or enhance your learning is the diet that you're eating and the nutrients that you're intaking for brain health and performance. Again, this could be an entire course on itself. So what I'm going to do is link down some resources that are going to help you to develop specific things within your diets, different nutrients that you can have in order to enhance your brain health and performance and learning. Now, these last three things that we spoke about, sleep, exercise, and diet, are often things that you're doing in your every day-to-day life, not specifically when you're sitting down to do a learning session. But we can also adjust our internal environment when we sit down to learn. And this is by doing something called priming our focus. Remember before we were talking about having to balance our arousal level in combination with a task complexity? So when we sit down to learn, we wanna help ourselves get alert. Because when we're alert, we trigger neuroplasticity, allowing our brain to grow and make new neural connections, which we now know later on, sleep completes this learning process and the growth of new neurons. But when we sit down to learn, we can practice getting alert. Getting alert involves many mechanisms, but it's mainly the release of epinephrine, also known as adrenaline, in the brain and body. So one simple way to become more alert is to do 25 to 30 deep breaths, inhales through your nose, and exhales through your mouth. And then exhale your air and hold your breath with lungs empty for 15 to 60 seconds. Then you can inhale once and hold your breath. But you don't need to force the breath hold. Start to breathe normally immediately once you feel the impulse to breathe. Now you may notice that this protocol is very similar to the Wim Hof method, doing it many of those deep breaths and then holding our breath afterwards. This is also sometimes known as fire breathing. Whichever you would like to do or way you would like to think about it, it's activating that sympathetic nervous system to bring a little more alertness to our task at hand. Now remember, when we were talking about arousal earlier, sometimes you can get too aroused and become distracted. So what we want to do is to help our mind to get focused on the learning task at hand. And mental focus follows visual focus. So to increase your level of focus on the task you're about to do, stare at a point on the wall or screen or object for 30 to 60 seconds before starting the task. And this is actually going to take a little bit of effort on your part. And this effort is called top-down attentional engagement and it reflects the activity of neural circuits involving acetylcholine release in the brain and other mechanisms. Once you've done this, you can move into the task at hand. Of course, as you start to engage with the task, you're not gonna become fully focused for a few minutes. You may notice your attention flickering on and off of what you're working, but the more you stay engaged with it, the more you'll start to get into flow with it. So for our activity today, go ahead and set up a checklist for yourself, both in your external environment and your internal environment, and what will be best for your learning situation. Begin to paint a picture for yourself of what the best learning environment is so that when you go to engage in any one of these learning sessions, you can begin to prepare that environment every time you sit down for learning. Thank you for taking the How to Learn Anything course. To get everything you need to become a pro learner, including advanced resources, personal coaching, and a community of passionate learners just like you, then visit Courses slash learning. And join us for free. Again, that's plato.university slash courses slash learning. This course was produced by Plato University, where students turn passions into purpose and learn skills to change the world. Learn more at plato.university.